Masks are no longer required in Arkansas, but private businesses and organizations can still insist they be worn on their premises. So the question is, to mask or not to mask? I'm Rusty Turner, and we're going to talk about that and many more things today on the Know the News podcast, brought to you by the newsroom of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. In a few minutes, we'll also talk about other great stories we have coming this weekend, and we'll visit with Northwest Arkansas Profiles writer Laura Hightower about a very special profile subject this Sunday. But first, we're going to talk to Alex Golden, our COVID-19 reporter. Uh, And we're going to talk about masks and whether anything has really changed since the state lifted the mask mandate on Thursday. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, Rusty. So Governor Hutchinson put the mask mandate in place last year, and it required people to wear masks in public places and even outdoors when social distancing was not possible. And this was done to combat the spread of COVID-19. So what's the difference now, Alex? So basically what changed is the state is no longer regulating mask wearing. It doesn't necessarily mean that mask wearing is not as, as important anymore. Um, it doesn't mean that private businesses or public schools um, or cities could still require masks, um, and, and some are. Um, so for example, in Fayetteville and Rogers, they had their city mask um, ordinance ordinances that are still in effect um, for at least um, about another 60 days and or until their, their city councils repeal them. And in those cities, nothing changed. It is exactly how it was before the governor lifted the mask mandate. Um, and then public schools, public school districts, um, all of the large ones up here um, are continuing to mandate masks, including the University of Arkansas. So. We have had a couple of school districts say they're not going to require masks anymore. I think Alma down in the River Valley, and then also just uh, just yesterday, Pea Ridge Schools uh, um, said they weren't going to require masks. So, so a school district can decide on its own whether it wants to require masks or not. Is that correct? Yes, and um, for sure, Fayetteville, Springdale, um, well, Springdale's um, to decide um, here in about a week. Um, for now, it's still in effect, um, but. Rogers, Bentonville, and Fayetteville are all requiring it through the end of the semester at least, and they'll have to decide later about this fall. So Okay. So so that's all going to depend then on locally if, uh, where a child goes to school and what the district has determined. Yes, that's up to their school board so, okay. and superintendent. All right. So, and I think you kind of answered this, but let's go into it a little bit more. This does not necessarily mean that you don't have to wear a mask uh, when you're out in public now. Is that correct? Um, that's correct. It's still recommended by, by health professionals um, as long as, I mean, unless you, um, granted that, I mean, if you are vaccinated and you're hanging out with, you know, a small group of friends who are also fully vaccinated, um, health professionals have said that's that's okay. Um, however, you know, if you're going to be out in public, um, there's no reason why you shouldn't still be wearing a mask. Um, you know, the, the situation, you know, seems to have gotten a little bit... Um, better in terms of cases and deaths, um, it could still spike back up, especially with the spread of the variants. Um, so health professionals are still urging people to wear masks. Um, businesses can still require masks. So, um, and, and my understanding is, is that, is that one of the reasons the, the re- the CDC recommendations are in place for people, even if people have been fully vaccinated or have, uh, contracted COVID and recovered and may have natural immunity, one of the reasons that, that they still recommend wearing masks is that they're not certain that those people can't still carry the virus and transmit it, even if they're not going to get sick. Is that right? Is that is that the reasoning there? That's, um, that has been the reasoning. And, you know, and now there's some, you know, there's some reports coming out saying that 
maybe her maybe her flu vaccinated, you can't carry it. Um, but it's still, you know, there's still just a lot that's not completely known about this virus. Um, and one thing that is known is that mask wearing does prevent spreading of the virus. So, you know, if you do want to err on the side of of caution, then mm. the best thing to do is to wear a mask. So. I think that's one of the unique things about this uh, is that is that as as health professionals and and experts have learned more, they've adjusted along the way. And 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 while that seems smart and a good thing. Uh, uh, it can be frustrating for the, the the public at large who, you know, they hear one thing and then, you know, a month later they hear something else. So yeah. um, uh, I, I, I guess the, the, the watchword here is just to be to be flexible and, mm-hmm. and, and pay attention to what the what the science what, what the science is saying now. For sure. And I, I definitely understand how it can be frustrating to, you know, um, to keep up and everybody has jobs and lives, and, you know, and they, they kind of want to hear one piece of information and that be the you know, um, the end all be all, but it just hasn't been with this virus. I mean, this is just a new situation for everybody and everybody's just trying to keep up and give everybody the latest and best information mm-hmm. to be the safest. So, um, yeah. and what if a business owner or some other organization, um, wants to continue, uh, to require masks in their business or on their premises, um, by their patrons, um, can someone refuse to wear a mask and uh, and and stay on that on, stay on that property? Um, my understanding is no. I mean, they're a private business, and they can require just how they can require you to wear shoes and a shirt when you walk into their business. They can also say you have to wear a mask here and ask you to leave if you refuse to abide by their rules. So, yeah. Okay. All right. And, and we talked about this, but you know, doctors and health officials still say mask wearing is recommended for the time being. Yes. So, yeah, so mask wearing is still recommended by health professionals. Um, Governor Isa Hutchinson lifted the mask mandate, um, as he had told us he would do um, back in February if we met certain criteria by the end of March. Um, So our cases and hospitalizations had to be down by a certain amount, which they were. um, And so we met the criteria that he had set, and so he did go ahead and repeal the mask mandate. Um, But health professionals um, still would like people to err on the side of caution and continue to choose to wear masks. So... Okay. Um, and I did notice uh, also uh, news yesterday, the University of Arkansas said that uh, masks are still going to be required at sporting events uh, on, on campus uh, for the time being. So, so uh, it's, you know, uh, I guess we're a step closer to not having to wear masks, but we're not quite there yet. So, right. All right. Well, Alex, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for helping us uh, enlighten folks on mask wearing and what, it re- what the, the lifting of the mandate really means. And uh, I'm assuming we can look forward to your regular Saturday local coronavirus update in tomorrow morning's newspaper? Yes, yes. Every Saturday um, we've been um, just keeping people up to date on cases and where they, can get, where they can get vaccinated and hospitalizations, just all of that um, good stuff that we all need to stay updated on. So I, I guess we should mention the other big news this week is that the governor said that anyone 16 or over in Arkansas is now eligible for a vaccine. So so pretty much if you're 16 years old in Arkansas, you can get a vaccine now. Yes, um, you, you can get a vaccine. Uh, the, only the Pfizer is um, approved for 16 and 17 year olds. So if you're 16 or 17, you cannot get the Moderna or Johnson & Johnson yet. Um, so you will have to find a place that's offering the Pfizer. Um, the state has actually not required that 16 and 17 year olds get parental consent um, to get the vaccine. Um, although um, private places still might require a parent. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's just the Pfizer for 16 and 17-year-olds. Right. Okay. Um, every All the vaccines are for people 18 and up. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, well, thanks for the update, Alex, and we'll look forward to your update for with us tomorrow. Thank you.
Alex's story on the COVID-19 update isn't the only thing we've got coming for the weekend. Stacy Ryburn and Doug Thompson wrap up their series on the red-hot housing market in northwest Arkansas and how communities are responding to it. With escalating prices, low interest rates, booming demand, and dwindling supply, city planners and developers are struggling to figure out where to build and what to build to accommodate the growth. Mike Jones will wrap up his series on Bentonville's upcoming bond issue election. Early voting on the extension of a sales tax to take on new municipal projects in Bentonville starts next week. You can check out Mike's previous stories on the bond issue plans at nwaonline.com. And you can listen to his podcasts on the subject on our podcast, uh, find them on our podcast page. And of course, we'll have all the coverage of Razorback baseball uh, and softball uh, as both teams take on Auburn this weekend. Uh, and you can find that at wholehogsports.com. Also coming Sunday in the, end up in the Northwest Arkansas Profile section is a wonderful read about a local woman who took a rather unconventional route to command in the US, to a command position in the U.S. Army Reserve's 95th Training Division out of Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Brigadier General Susie S. Quelan is from Gravit, and she has quite a story. Laura Hightower, our profiles reporter, got to know the general, and she's here to tell us a little bit about her. Laura has been with us for five years writing profiles and feature stories. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Rusty. It's great to be talking to you today. It's great to talk to you. So um, what gave you the idea to profile General Quelan? Well, like a lot of the profile subjects I end up writing about, this came from someone else who wrote to me, uh, an Army Public Affairs Officer, Major uh, Adrian Bryant, wrote and said, you know, this woman lives in your area. She has a really interesting story. Just let me know if you'd like to write about her. And she included a link um, to an Oklahoma newspaper story about the change of command ceremony that took place in January where um, Brig- Brigadier General uh, Quelan was appointed command of uh, Fort Sill, the Army Reserve ranks there. So I read the story and I thought this is, I mean, to ascend to those heights in the Army um, for a woman, I think is probably a pretty interesting story. And so I got in touch with Major Bryant and set up an interview. I see. And um, in that interview, I know you talked a little bit about this. Her path to military service was kind of unusual. Uh, She didn't envision uh, becoming a general or even being in the military when she left uh, high school for college, did she? No. um, It's, you know, it's interesting because I realized I have a lot of sort of stereotypical ideas about what a brigadier general would be like. And she sort of upended all of those um, set in stone ideas I had about it. I expected her to sort of be um, sort of, you know, serious and um, analytical. And she is very funny and very gregarious and uh, a lot of fun to talk to, a great storyteller. And that may be because when um, she started out in high school, her main interests were uh, the theater department at her school. She was a big forensics person, um, a big speech person. She was uh, on the debate team. And so, and a big reader, just a voracious reader. And so she she had this sort of very left brain um, high school education uh, and planned to go into, and, and studied communications in college and planned to become um a PR specialist was sort of the idea of where she was going to take her education and her interests and her skills. 
but she jokingly said to me, uh, I followed a guy and which is funny because she's so strong minded. It's hard for me. Uh, I'm pretty sure that maybe a guy had something to do with it, but she, uh, strikes me as someone who makes her own decisions for sure. But, um, he, and he, I guess, uh, joined up. And so she started taking a closer look at it and, she said once she sort of did some research, she realized that she um, might have uh, the possibility of having some positions and jobs and assignments with much higher responsibility level than she would if she started out as a as sort of a PR, um, you know, on the lowest rung of the ladder. So it piqued her interest and um, she went to officer training school and um, served her time and then left and thought that she, she she taught for a while. She taught high school, so she did take you know hearkened back to those those high school high school skills that she had developed, and was a high school teacher and thought maybe that's you know where she would uh, continue to to work, but missed it desperately. And it was, I think it sort of took her by surprise how much she missed it. But when you she say missed, missed it, it so much that she ended up um, joining back up again. So when you say she missed it, she missed the army. She missed the military. Uh, she did. Yeah. Yes. And and I asked her, you know, what could you put your finger on what it was that you missed the most and. Um, she said she thinks it's the camaraderie. It's the, the feeling of, of sort of belonging to a group of people who feel very bonded to each other. So um, that was something that, that she got used to and, and, and really missed having a part of her life. So she, she um, came back through the reserves, um, from what I recall, and started climbing the ladder, I guess. Yes, fairly quickly. I mean, she, she, um, I, I mean obviously she's extremely intelligent and she also at this point uh, was continuing to matriculate as well and had had uh, gathered three master's degrees and was working on a PhD Um, at the same time she was climbing the ranks in the army reserves and was a mother um, uh, has a son Um, she's very close to lovely relationship between the two of them um, so, and, and, and just a sidebar, they're so close. You can see that she, um, did a wonderful job of sort of juggling this very high stress career and all of these studies as well as, you know, did certainly did not shirk on, 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 um, spending a lot of time with her son, um, cause they retain a very close relationship to this day. Um, but yeah, she, uh, her, her communication skills, her writing skills, um, were very, uh, valuable with within within the army, and she received several positions. You know that sort of made the most of her research capabilities and her writing capabilities, and that sort of helped her um, climb climb up the ladder. I think. Okay, and she was promoted to general. I think uh, I think your story said uh, a couple of years ago, and then she um, uh, took command at Fort Sill in January of this year. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, Brigadier General in 2018, and then took uh, command uh, January of 2021. Wow. Um, uh, Even today, the military is is primarily a a male world. Did she talk about the challenges of being a a high-ranking woman officer in the Army? She did a little bit. She did, and and I just get the feeling that it's um, well. She she said she didn't that she certainly uh, is sympathetic to the stories of the women that have had difficulties um, in the army and that, and that she knows that that exists. She 
herself said she did not experience much of it, especially early on. And she wonders if it's because she joined later than a lot of women do. A lot of women join right out of high school. And so they're still 17, 18. She was uh, uh, early 20s when she joined. And she also was in officer training school. And she thinks that has sort of something to do with it as well. Once you're on the officer track, it sort of affords you a certain level of respect um, that might sort of be a safeguard uh, against any difficulties you might run into. But she did say, um, and you know, she's very, she's great about saying, I, I wasn't the first to do anything. There were women that went before me and that's, you know, that's why I'm here because these women, she said there were 20, around 22 generals, um, in the army when she, when she received her brigadier general, um, rank. And she said, you know, I've never been the first and there are people that have gone before me and have sort of forged the way. But she did say that as she gets higher and higher in rank, it does become a little bit more apparent to her um, that there is this sort of uh, um, way that she's looked at within the army. And she gave this example of when she was walking along uh, with a, uh, a man who was of lower rank than she was. And there is um, a formality to the way you walk next to someone according to their rank. He's, he's to walk to her left. And that signifies to everyone sort of um, meeting them on the sidewalk or in the hallway, that that person is of a lower rank than the person to his right. And um, she said they met, you know, several groups of men along this walk across a campus they were taking. And every time they saluted him and not her, she said never, never even looked at her. Their, their assumption immediately was the man was the, the person with the higher rank. So she said that sort of took her aback, that that um, she had been sort of... Uh, um, blissfully, uh, you know, not subject to that sort of thing uh, to such a degree that it was surprising to her when it did happen. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, she, uh, I, I know the story indicates that she uh, she was deployed overseas uh, for a period of time um, uh, um, during conflict. So uh, talk a little bit about that, what she told you about that time. Yeah, it was, so she left when her son was 12. So that was probably the hardest thing for her was leaving him behind for a full year. And um, her her parents came and moved into her house. So luckily her son didn't have to uproot his life and move anywhere else. They came and took care of him for a year. And um, of course, she uh, talked to him on the phone as often as she possibly could. She also said that she was not uh, in any sort of situation where she faced danger on any sort of daily basis. It was all around her, but she herself did not fear for her life or, um, you know, experience a lot of fear on a daily basis. So she's very quick to say, you know, to point that out, to make, make sure I understood that. Because she said when she came back... She said, you know, a, a lot of people talk about PTSD, of course, after a, an experience like that. But she said when she came back, she um, experienced something that she calls uh, post-traumatic stress growth that she said doesn't have a lot of research, but it is a term out there. And it's um, 
it, it means when you come back from something like that, you sort of feel you're in a better place instead of being um, psychologically traumatized by what you've experienced. And again, she's very quick to say, and that's because I was safe. I did not, you know, put my life on the line every day. She was in a support position. Um, but she came back and she said that it was just so much easier for her to see that, um, what was important and what wasn't important. And, you know, the stress, the stressors of everyday life that are easier to sort of put behind you and say, well, this isn't you know, life or death by any stretch of imagination. And she feels like it made her a happier, more positive person. And her son um, actually said the same thing. And he said she was so different when she came back and, and that as close as they were before, he feels like their relationship got even closer afterwards, um, after that separation, just because of, you know, what she had learned from being over there and being separated from him. It, it, it just, um, it had a real positive impact on her life. Wow. So, uh, she's in the reserve, so she's got a non-army life too. Uh, and she lives in Gravit. So tell us a little bit about her non-army life uh, here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, she's taught, um, through most of her time in the army, she's taught in her civilian life, um, at various, uh, levels. I don't believe she teaches at the high school level anymore. I think it's all post-secondary. Um, but she, uh, lives with her husband, Joe Bryant, and they have five dogs that she's absolutely crazy about, that they're both crazy about, and a cat. Um, and I could hear the dogs while I was talking to her. She was outside in the backyard with them sort of frolicking around her. Um, so they have a very happy life, uh, with her pets and they love to travel. And, uh, Joe talked a little bit about how he really wasn't a traveler before he met her, but she's so adventurous and so, um, excited and eager to get out there that that he that she's turned him into a traveler as well and their hope actually is that they are going to get a fifth wheeler which i guess is i had never heard that term before but i guess it's a recreational vehicle sort of like a camper and go um travel around the country and do their work from their camper he said you know we can work anywhere we can get a wireless connection so that's that's what their hope is here in the next year or two to 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 do a lot of traveling well general quillen sounds like a fascinating lady thanks for telling us the story and uh, our readers can see it in the profile section on sunday is that correct that is correct yes sir all right so um Laura, you get to do a lot of these, and uh, and you know I often joke that you and and Flip Putoff, our outdoor writer, have the best jobs in the in the newspaper <laughs> because you you get to have so much fun when you're when you're uh, writing about what your specialty. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you approach that. How do you how do you look for subjects and 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 uh, and and how do you go about researching them and and doing the reporting? Sure, I do. I totally agree with you. I think I have one of the best jobs at the paper. I, um, I learned so much about Fayetteville and so much, uh, we're not Fayette, just Fayetteville about Northwest Arkansas, about all the people in Northwest Arkansas and the things that they're doing and the initiatives that are going on. I just, I feel like I learned something new every time I talk to one of the people that I write about. And that's such a gift on a daily basis. I, uh, read our newspaper and I get a lot of ideas from uh, the reporting that our 
my fellow reporters have done. I'll, I'll read a news story and it'll, you know, mention someone who's working on some project and I'll think, oh, that sounds like that would be an interesting potential profile. So I get a lot of my ideas from, from reading my um, talented coworkers' work, but I also get a, a lot of names submitted to me from folks that read the profile pages, that read a profile and think, oh, I know someone who that sounds like this, you know, they, they, they do this too. So they, they'll email me and say, you should talk to my friend so-and-so. He does X, Y, and Z. And, and I love getting those suggestions, especially because a lot of times I would not have heard about what this person is doing without someone else sort of, you know, pushing them in front of my face. So I love getting suggestions from um, readers. I get suggestions from friends uh, and from former profile people that I've written about. They, they will sometimes uh, send me suggestions for the next subject. So we're really, really happy to write about anyone who's kind of, you know, making a difference in Northwest Arkansas and, and, and doing something, uh, you know, great that, that needs a spotlight shown on them. Okay. And it's just, I, I feel lucky that I'm, I'm curious about all of this stuff. So it makes the interview really easy all I'm doing you know I I often tell my husband I get to be so nosy and it's my job to be nosy I get to find someone who does something interesting and sit down and ask them everything about their life and you know how they got here and and the great big stories that that led them to what they're doing today and what could be better than that it's it's a really fun job well and Laura if one of our readers or listeners has a has a, a an idea to 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 pitch your way how would they go about it how can they how can they send you an, an idea for a profile subject oh definitely email me at l hightower at nwadg.com and hightower is spelled just like it sounds h i g h t o w e r all right. Well, I hope we get some. I uh, hope we get some suggestions. Uh, keep you keep you busy for the next uh, yes. several months. So, all right. That would be great. Well, Laura, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate your time and uh, and 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 the story you tell us you told us about General Quillen. Thank you. Thank you, Rusty. Thanks a lot. And to our listeners today, thanks for joining us. If you're a subscriber to the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, I want you to know how grateful we are for that. Without your support, we couldn't bring you all these great stories. Um, and if you're not a subscriber, stop missing out. Hit the subscribe button on our homepage at nwaonline.com and join us and your well-informed friends and neighbors in supporting local journalism. You can also call us at 479-684-5509 and subscribe. Until next week, I'm Rusty Turner. I'm the editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and this has been Know the News.